Section 22 of A Failure of Initiative. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary J. A Failure of Initiative, Final Report of the Select Bipartisan Committee to Investigate the Preparation for and Response to Hurricane Katrina by the United States House of Representatives. The National Framework for Emergency Management, Part 3. Finding. The White House failed to deconflict varying damage assessments and discounted information that ultimately proved accurate. In response to document request to White House Chief of Staff Andrew Card and the Office of the Vice President, the Select Committee received and reviewed 22,830 pages of Katrina-related documents. Of this production, 16,482 pages were from staff of the President's Homeland Security Council Prevention Preparedness and Response PPR, Directorate, headed by Kirsten Nielsen. The remaining 6,348 pages were produced by the Office of the Vice President. Homeland Security Council HSC, staff received a continuous paper flow in the hours and days before Katrina made landfall and after. Of the 16,482 pages produced, almost all of the documents are repeated numerous times. The most commonly found documents include HSOC Situation Reports, HSOC Spot Reports, Louisiana Office of Emergency Preparedness Situation Reports, Mississippi Emergency Management Agency Situation Reports, Alabama Emergency Management Agency Situation Reports, Emails from DHS Watch Officer to White House HSC Staff, FEMA Executive Briefing Slides, FEMA Hurricane Liaison Team, HLT Advisories, FEMA National Situation Reports, FEMA Regional Situation Reports, DOE Energy Reports from Office of Electricity Delivery and Energy Reliability, DOT Situation Reports, Federal Highway Administration, FHWA Status Reports, Talking Points from both DHS and the White House, National Disaster Medical System, NDMS Reports, Coast Guard Briefing Materials, National Guard Briefing Materials, Pipeline Situation Reports, FAA Emergency Operations Division Reports, HHS Operations Center Situation Reports, HUD Briefing Materials, White House Press Office Materials, and Red Cross Disaster Operations Summary Reports. The HSC was situated at the apex of the Policy Coordination Framework for Responding to Hurricane Katrina. An HSC chart has Chertoff and the IIMG through the Secretary, seemingly reporting into the HSC. As the coordinator of the policy, it would seem to follow that HSC was directly involved in the Katrina response. Not really, according to Deputy Homeland Security Advisor Ken Rapuano, who twice briefed select committee members and staff. We don't do operations at the White House, Rapuano said on January 27th. We're a transit site for information. DHS is the operating agency for response, and we were working closely with them. At the time, we believed we were fully supporting the federal, state, and local response requirements. Now we know differently. As discussed previously in the Investigation Overview chapter, the Select Committee grew frustrated by the White House's slow response to requests for information and documents. On the one hand, it is true the Rapuano briefings the Select Committee ultimately received in lieu of more complex document production offered a wide array of acknowledged failures and lessons learned. On the other, the White House's decision to withhold documents and communications, raising concerns about executive privilege, leaves the Select Committee no choice but to find, based on the information we have received, that a failure of initiative plagued the White House as well. Failure to resolve conflicts and in information and the fog of war, not a lack of information, caused confusion. 
the White House did not suffer from a lack of information. At 1.47 a.m. on August 29th, before Katrina made landfall, DHS forwarded an infrastructure advisory to the White House Situation Room and HSC staff indicating the risks associated with a potential levee breach. The report advised a severe storm surge would likely lead to severe flooding, leaving New Orleans underwater for weeks or months. The report estimated an economic impact of $7 to $10 billion. Detailed diagrams of the New Orleans levee system arrived at the White House at 12.14 p.m. on Sunday, August 28th. After Katrina made landfall and the levees failed, the White House continued to receive a substantial information flow. At 2.20 p.m. on August 29th, an HSOC report stated some Louisiana parishes had 8 to 10 feet of water and an unspecified number of Louisiana and Mississippi residents were stranded in flooded areas. In a 6 p.m. HSOC report, the White House was advised extensive flooding in New Orleans could take months to reverse through the dewatering process. At 12.02 a.m. on August 30th, the White House received the Bahamon Spot Report, in which it was reported he observed a quarter-mile breach in the levee near the 17th Street Canal. Bahamond also reported free-flowing water emptying into the city, Orleans Parish underwater, homes completely underwater, hundreds of people on roofs and balconies, and bodies floating in the floodwaters. While Bahamond's report was detailed in a 10.30 p.m. HSOC spot report, that report was not emailed to or received by the White House Situation Room until shortly after midnight on August 30th. Even then, according to Rapuano, White House officials did not believe they had confirmation of any levee breaches, since an earlier Army Corps of Engineers report had not confirmed them, and because this was just Marty's observation, and it's difficult to distinguish between a levee overtopping and a breach. Bahamond has testified, however, that he was certain the levee was breached. At approximately 11 a.m. Monday, August 29th, the worst possible news came into the EOC. I stood there and listened to the first report of the levee break at the 17th Street Canal. I do not know who made the report, but they were very specific about the location of the break and the size. And then they added it was very bad. I continued to provide regular updates to FEMA headquarters throughout the day as the situation unfolded. At approximately 5 p.m. I rushed over to the Superdome because I had been notified that a Coast Guard helicopter was able to take me for a short flyover so that I could assess the situation in the city and plan for Undersecretary Brown's visit the next day. My initial flyover lasted about 10 minutes, and even in that short time I was able to see that approximately 80% of the city was underwater, and I confirmed the 17th Street Canal levee break. I was struck by how accurate the 11 a.m. call was about the levee. After his helicopter flight at about 7 p.m., Bahamon said he called Brown and explained what he saw. I picked up the phone and called Undersecretary Brown directly and began a 10-15 minute conversation that explained everything that I have already explained in my statement. Brown listened to Bahamon's report and did not ask any questions. All he said was, thank you. I am now going to call the White House. White House officials did not consider the breaches confirmed until roughly 6.30 a.m. the next morning upon receipt of an updated situation report from DHS, Rapuano said. Confirmation of a full breach would not have changed anything we would have done, Rapuano said. We weren't going to repair the levees overnight, and search and rescue was already operating in full gear regardless. But confirmation of the breach of the levees could have had practical implications for the White House involvement in the response. Flooding from the breaches and flooding from overtopping have different consequences. Overtopping flooding will stop as the waters recede. Flooding through a breach will continue, as it did, through the breach until the water in the city is at the same level as the water in the lake. The latter flooding could drive more of the population that stayed behind from their homes, necessitating greater needs for evacuating that population. When President Bush was concerned that Governor Blanco had not ordered the evacuation of New Orleans, he called her on Sunday morning to urge such an evacuation. Similarly, White House involvement could have spurred earlier evacuation post-landfall for those trapped by the floods from the breached levees. 
Further, White House officials clearly were able to identify and locate resources for the relief effort when they had sufficient information to know what was needed. Maggie Grant, special assistant to the President for Intergovernmental Affairs, played a key role in coordinating shelter for 15,000 in Arkansas with Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee and in coordinating shelter for thousands of others in Georgia and Alabama. Regardless of what the White House did or did not, or could or could not, do with the information at its disposal, it appears clear officials charged with reviewing that information failed to deconflict it. Among the primary tasks of the HSOC and the HSC is to shuttle and synthesize information, yet both appeared to discount information that ultimately proved accurate and failed to provide decision-makers up to and including the President with timely information. Brown testified that he spoke with White House officials as many as 30 times. He said he had no trouble getting through to senior decision-makers. I had no problem picking up the phone and getting hold of Chertoff or Andy Card or Joe Hagan or the President. I don't have those problems. Brown told the New York Times he advised both Chertoff and a White House official, either Chief of Staff Andrew Card or Card's Deputy Joe Hagan, on Monday evening, August 29th, I am having a horrible time. I can't get a unified command established. On Tuesday, August 30th, he said he called to ask the White House to take over the Katrina response. In his testimony, Brown said that this was offered to Blanco. One of the things that I was trying to do was to assist the governor in any way that I could in the decision-making process in trying to help her manage what was going on. And one of my suggestions was that, you know, we could federalize this disaster and take over the National Guard and run the operation through that National Guard. And I, I do not know whether she considered it or not, but I know that she came back to me and rejected that. Neither Rapuano nor anyone else at the White House would confirm these accounts. Rapuano would only say that he was not aware that Brown called the White House asking us to take over. Rapuano acknowledged at both briefings that the fog of war affected both the quality and quantity of information that reached the White House. The Select Committee also believes, in the absence of any information to the contrary from the White House, that the President's Homeland Security team did not effectively substantiate, analyze, and act on the information at its disposal. Listed in Appendix 3 are examples of documents that flowed to the White House over the days right before and after Katrina made landfall, August 27th through September 3rd. The items logged do not reflect the entire information flow to the White House, or all the documents provided to the Select Committee. Rather, they are meant to illustrate the type and range of information known to the White House suggesting Katrina and the subsequent flooding was not a standard emergency event. Yet the enormity of Katrina seems not to have been fully understood by the White House until at least Tuesday, August 30th. Finding. Federal agencies, including DHS, had varying degrees of unfamiliarity with their roles and responsibilities under the NRP and National Incident Management System, NIMS. It has become clear the response to Katrina was not unified and coordination among local, state, and federal authorities failed in several areas. The NRP and NIMS serve as pre-established unified command structure for response to such a catastrophic incident. In order to seamlessly execute the NRP, each agency needs to develop effective operating procedures essential to satisfying that agency's roles and responsibilities under the NRP and NIMS. Some agencies had well-developed standard operating procedures while others had none at all. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and the Department of Transportation had previously developed significant operating procedures that covered agency responsibilities under the NRP. Both agencies had used these operating procedures during training exercises to ensure an understanding of operating procedures prior to real-time application. These agencies executed their responsibilities under the NRP fairly well. Other agencies lack sufficient operating procedures for their responsibilities under the NRP. Many, when asked for operating procedures, referred to related sections of the NRP. Since the NRP is not an operational plan, this led to problems with execution of Emergency Support Function, ESF, responsibilities. 
while DOD, the Department of Health and Human Services, HHS, and the Coast Guard performed admirably in many respects, there were problems adequately coordinating their activities with other federal, state, and local agencies through the NRP structure. For example, DOD bypassed the NRP-mandated Unified Command, taking requests from the states directly, absent the necessary input and coordination by FEMA. This was apparent in the evacuation of the Superdome. Parr completed a plan to evacuate the Superdome Wednesday morning with the support of the Louisiana National Guard. Shortly before implementation of the plan, Parr was informed of the decision by General Honoré of Northern Command to proceed with a different evacuation plan. Unknown to Parr, Blanco had requested DOD's involvement in the evacuation the day before. The governor's request was made outside the Unified Command and without the knowledge of FEMA officials, resulting in a duplication of efforts and a delay in the evacuation. Additionally, Parr stated that the actual evacuation under Honoré's plan resulted in an additional 24-hour delay to evacuees. In another case, HHS activated the National Disaster Medical System without prior notice or consultation with Alabama, thereby removing 200 beds from the inventory the state believed on hand and to which state officials were still directing patients. Likewise, Coast Guard search and rescue operations were bringing survivors from Mississippi unannounced to already full hospitals until Alabama sent its own personnel forward to help triage cases and coordinate the direction of Coast Guard flights. This resulted in confusion over available hospital beds for victims through the Gulf Coast and delay in the medical response. Additional failures to adhere to the NRP were apparent in the lack of communication between the NRCC and the HSOC, which disrupted the overall information flow and situational awareness. Finding. Once activated, the Emergency Management Assistance Compact, EMAC, enabled an unprecedented level of mutual aid assistance to reach the disaster area in a timely and effective manner. EMAC provided invaluable interstate mutual aid in support of Hurricane Katrina by deploying more than 67,891 personnel, 19,481 civilians, and 48,477 National Guard to Louisiana and Mississippi. EMAC facilitated mutual assistance from 48 states, the District of Columbia, the Virgin Islands, and Puerto Rico. In support of Hurricane Katrina, more than 2,188 resource requests, missions, were filled. Record numbers of National Guard troops, local responders, and health and medical personnel were deployed through the compact. EMAC also works in cooperation with the federal government by co-locating personnel when requested, and the NRCC, or Regional Response Coordination Center, RRCC, in order to share information on EMAC activities in the affected states, monitor the availability of needed resources being offered by assisting states, and facilitate overall emergency response and recovery activities. Through state statute, EMAC addresses legal issues of liability, workers' compensation, reimbursement, and professional licensure prior to a disaster or emergency when resource needs and timing are critical. State and territory members must pre-designate personnel with the authority to request and commit resources. Standard operating procedures exist for compact members, and training and exercise of state personnel is required. While formalized protocols are in place, EMAC is designed to be adaptable and scalable to meet the changing needs of each event. Following each large-scale activation of the compact, a review and evaluation of the response is conducted and standard operating procedures revised and updated to reflect lessons learned and best practices. For example, lessons learned from the 2004 Florida hurricanes led to an overhaul of some operational procedures related to mobilization and deployment of resources, an enhanced automation system to provide more accurate data and electronic tracking of resources, and a new standardized EMAC training curriculum and updated operations manual. These enhancements were either in progress or completed prior to Hurricane Katrina. In Mississippi, EMAC assistance was considered a success. 
the assistance in Mississippi included help from other state security agencies, such as their state police, as well as various states' national guards, troops, and hard assets. See the military chapter for more detail. Louisiana state officials also viewed EMAC assistance as very successful. One state official said there were almost 900 EMAC agreements for assistance. Although the EMAC response from surrounding states varied, state officials applauded EMAC for successfully getting law enforcement manpower assistance. According to state police officers Ralph Mitchell and Joseph Booth, Arkansas, Tennessee, New Jersey, and California all sent law enforcement officers through EMAC. FEMA officials also noted the general success of EMAC. Because of the magnitude of the disaster, however, Louisiana was unable to handle all of the EMAC requests, requiring FEMA to become more involved in the process than normal. In particular, FCO Scott Wells noted some state offers of assistance through FEMA were rejected by Louisiana. He said these offers were rejected by SCO Smith because of concerns about the costs to the state. Finding Earlier presidential involvement might have resulted in a more effective response. Similar to other large-scale disasters, the catastrophic nature of Katrina required early presidential involvement to direct federal agencies in a massive, coordinated response. In practice, it takes presidential action to quickly deploy the logistical capability of the military to meet the tremendous food, shelter, and medical needs of large affected populations. According to the Government Accountabilities Office, GAO, review of Hurricanes Hugo, 1989, South Carolina and North Carolina, Andrew, 1992, Florida and Louisiana, and Inaki, 1992, Hawaii. Often, when a catastrophic disaster leaves a gap between what volunteers can provide and the needs of disaster victims, DOD is the only organization capable of providing, transporting, and distributing sufficient quantities of the items needed to fill that gap. While we clearly see a major role for DOD in providing mass care, we do not advocate turning over the entire disaster response, relief, and recovery operations to the military. Instead, the GAO recommended increased presidential involvement in the disaster and an improved process for FEMA to request DOD assistance as the solution for enabling DOD to provide relief during the critical first few days of a catastrophic disaster. The Stafford Act authorizes the President, not the Director of FEMA or the Homeland Security Secretary, to direct federal agencies to save lives and protect property and support state and local response efforts. While the Stafford Act requires the President to delegate the coordination of response efforts to a federal coordinating officer, FCO, the law does not give the FCO command authority over federal agencies. As a result, the FCO is not in a position to direct the operations of large departments such as DOD. Only the President appears able to promptly engage active duty military forces and achieve a unity of effort among all the federal agencies responding to a catastrophic disaster. During Hurricane Katrina, this problem was apparent in FEMA's and DHS's inability to promptly task major mission assignments to DOD. For example, FEMA did not approach DOD about taking over the logistics mission until Thursday, September 1st, according to staff interviews with senior FEMA officials. In response, Colonel Chavez, with the Assistant Secretary for Homeland Defense, Paul McHale, instructed FEMA that the request had to go to Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld. Although details and planning still needed to take place, the Secretary of Defense supported approval of the request on Friday, and Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense Pete Verga approved execution orders on Saturday, September 3rd. Out of this request, according to McHale, DOD found additional mission assignments that it could undertake and propose them to FEMA. Several other mission assignments were negotiated and approved over the next few days with senior DHS officials, including Deputy Secretary Michael Jackson and the Director of Operations Coordination Brigadier General Matthew Broderick. USMC RET. But by the time all of these missions were assigned, it was one week since Katrina had made landfall. Conclusion 
Hurricane Katrina exposed numerous deficiencies in the existing national framework for emergency management, including specific mistakes that delayed an appropriate federal response. Confusion accompanied the implementation of the NRP, resulting in key elements of the plan executed late, ineffectively, or not at all. Not only did senior DHS officials fail to acknowledge the scale of the impending disaster, they were ill-prepared due to their lack of experience and knowledge of the required roles and responsibilities prescribed by the NRP. The secretary of DHS failed to declare an INS, convene the IIMG, and properly designate the PFO in a timely manner. The White House failed to deconflict varying damage assessments and discounted FEMA-supplied eyewitness information that ultimately proved accurate. Furthermore, the government was limited to a reactive response due to failure to activate the NRP-CIA. Despite failures of the system, portions of the national framework were successful, including EMAC, which proved invaluable in providing necessary levels of mutual aid assistance. End of section 22.